Thanks very much, Tim and Hannah. Let me add my welcome. It's really good to have you here with us this morning. My name uh, is uh, Johnny, the, the pastor here. It's kind of bank holiday weekend. A lot of our guys are, are away visiting. I imagine there are some visitors here, so it's, it's lovely to have you uh, here with us this morning. We joined us um, as we're starting a new series over the next four weeks. We'll be thinking uh, from 2 Corinthians 4 and 5 about our gospel mission. Let me pray as we come to look at these words together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that the glory of Christ shines in the gospel. We pray, if nothing else this morning, then that truth would settle upon our hearts and that we might see the glory of Christ in the gospel. Please be kind to us by your spirit. Open our eyes. Help us to see more of your son and in seeing him, see more of you and know you more deeply. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Redeemer, uh, some of you will know, some perhaps wouldn't know, Redeemer isn't an old church. We had only been going about a year before the first lockdown hit. Uh, And then for the last 18 months, uh, or or so in the life of the church, uh, and in all of life really, it's been dominated by COVID. For me, like church, I guess that was kind of government guidelines, kind of waiting for the latest update. What can we do? What can't we do? Uh, Zoom meetings, trying to hold everyone together when you're the only one speaking, hoping that you can kind of fill the silence with ridiculous stories and anecdotes. And, and, and we've kind of hopefully, I, I might be naive, but hopefully that, that's behind us, or at least most of it's behind us. And so my hope for this short series is to think again, well, what are we about as a church? Why did we plant Redeemer Winchester? What's our vision going to be now that, Lord willing, COVID isn't going to dominate our lives in the way that it has done? So in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, the Apostle Paul is defending his ministry to the Corinthian Christians. He's defending his message And he shows us what his mission is and how that mission shapes his life. Now, we could say lots about why we started Redeem. We could say lots about the kind of culture of the church that we're trying to create here. But these chapters are a brilliant place to start as we look at how Paul lays out his mission. Have a look at verse 5. Paul says, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. His mission, his message is this, to preach Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants. And I think that's probably it for us as well, isn't it? Our gospel mission is to preach Christ and to live like Christ, to be your servants. Lots of... um, People, lots of businesses, lots of churches have been talking about resetting things, resetting their lives, uh, resetting their aims and their practices now that we're hopefully out of lockdown. And it could sound like that's what we're doing here, a bit of a reset. But actually, I don't think it is. I don't think what we are doing is a reset or a rethink. This isn't some kind of great post-COVID vision. The mission to preach Christ and live like Christ Well, that is our mission full stop, COVID or no COVID. Look what Paul says in verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, this mission, we do not lose heart. 
See, Paul is facing all kinds of opposition to his message and his mission, all kinds of setbacks. But what does he say? We do not lose heart. We do not retreat. We do not give up. If a fourth wave of COVID hits us in the winter and we are sent back into lockdown, this is still our gospel mission. We do not lose heart. We preach Christ and we live like him. If some other disaster hits our lives, if the economy crashes, if we end up at war, if another more deadly pandemic hits, this is still going to be our mission. We do not lose heart. We preach Christ and we live like him. That's our gospel mission. But before we get into what that means and what that looks like, there is something else, something I think perhaps just that little bit more important or fundamental about our gospel mission. Before we preach Christ, we must behold Christ. Let me show you what I mean. First point, we behold Christ. Now, behold is an odd word, isn't it? We don't use it much. At one level, it just kind of means look. You know, we are to, to look at Christ. We are to see Christ. But to behold something is to do a bit more than just to, to look at it. It is to savour it as well. To be enchanted and captivated and struck by it. So I grew up in Southampton, just down the road. And of course, that means when it comes to football, I am a, a Saints fan. Now, um, one of the best players to play for Southampton uh, was someone called Matthew Letizier. Uh, and when I was younger, we had this video called Unbelievable. And uh, it was a compilation of Matt Letizier's greatest footballing moments. His goals, his skill, his kind of footballing brilliance. And I'd watch it, not just once, nor twice, but almost kind of on a weekly basis. The thing is, I wasn't just watching and seeing I was savouring it as well, and you know, if you love football, then you'll understand something about this. The, the flicks and the feints and the volleys, there was something enchanting about the way he played, something mesmerising. See, Laura has poetry, I have Matt Letizier, and they both have the same effect on us. See, when you behold something, you don't just see it, you don't just understand it, you savour it as well. And so before we preach Christ, even before we live like Christ, we must behold Christ. We must see him and savour him and be enchanted and mesmerised by him. Listen to what Paul says in verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ the image of God. Now we'll come back to the God of this age blinding unbelievers later. But notice what it is they are blinded to. What cannot they, what can't they see? The light of the gospel. Gospel means good news. And what is the good news that they cannot see? What is the gospel? Look how Paul finishes. The glory of Christ. The beauty, the wonder, the awesomeness, the greatness, the grandeur of Christ. Do you see what Paul is saying? What is at the heart of his gospel message? Is it forgiveness? 
Is it salvation from hell? Is it comfort and peace and freedom? Is it righteousness and mercy? Well, yes, all those things are part of the gospel message, but they are not the heart of the gospel message. The heart of it is Christ himself, the display of his glory, the revelation of the beauty, wonder, and awesomeness of Jesus Christ. If we have believed the gospel, we don't just see Christ, we savour him as well. We don't just know of Christ, we behold him, we are enchanted and mesmerised and gripped by his glory. Our souls are refreshed and given life when we spend time in his presence. Our hearts are comforted and assured by him as we savour who he is. You know, Matt Letizia is good, but he's not that good. There's something unique about Jesus Christ and when you savour him. One of my favourite parts of scripture is in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus has risen again from the dead, but two of his followers are not aware of this. And they are walking along the road to Emmaus, away from Jerusalem. They are obviously downhearted, they're disappointed, they're broken-spirited, because the one they put their hopes in seems to have died and gone. And then this stranger turns up and starts talking to them. And he explains it all. He tells them why God's Messiah, why God's Christ, promised of old, had to die in order to save the world. And then the stranger leaves, and the two men realise it was Jesus. And they say to each other, I think it'll be on the screen, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? They didn't just hear Christ, they didn't just see him, they beheld him. They were mesmerised and enchanted and gripped and captivated. Their hearts burned within them. The light of the gospel that displays the glory, the revelation, the awesomeness, the greatness of Christ. Just to push this further, let me share with you how John Piper, the pastor and preacher, puts it. And again, it will be on the screen. He writes this. Christ is the highest and best and final good that makes all other good things promised in the gospel good. Justification is good news because it makes us stand accepted by the one whose glory we want to see and savour above all things. Forgiveness is good news because it cancels all the sins that keep me from seeing and enjoying the glory of Christ. Removal of wrath and salvation from hell are good news because now in my escape from eternal misery I find eternal pleasure in beholding the glory of God in the face of Christ. Our mission is to preach Christ, to live like Christ, but first we must behold Christ in the gospel. Because he is the end of all things. He is the purpose of all things. Now, there is lots that we might want to start doing as a church. Lots of events and groups and causes we might want to be involved in so that we can make Christ known. But please remember this. Adoration comes before activity. 
we behold Christ before we preach Christ. And so we gather Sunday by Sunday, not just to preach Christ for the sake of those who don't yet know him, but for our own sakes. So that together we can behold him, so that together we can see his infinite worth and glory, so that together our hearts will burn inside us. So that together, by his spirit, he will transform us more and more into his likeness. What is our gospel mission? First, we behold Christ. We hold on to him. We savour him. We live under his lordship. But we don't just hold on to Christ. We hold him out as well. And so secondly, we preach Christ. Have a look down again at verse 5. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. There's our, our gospel mission, to preach Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, now obviously, Paul isn't saying everything he could say here. You know, it's not, that's not all we say when we preach Christ. You know, you're on the train to London, heading into work, you lean over to someone opposite and say, Look, can, I just, can I just tell you something? It only take ten seconds. Jesus Christ is Lord. Brilliant. Have a lovely day. Is, it, you know, is that me done? Have I, have I preached Christ? Now, Paul, Paul, in saying this, is giving us a summary of the gospel. And what I find so interesting is how, and he sums it up, what, what he gives as his summary for the gospel. Paul says, this is, this is my gospel, it is Jesus Christ as Lord. Because instinctively, if we were to summarise the gospel, the Christian message, I, I reckon it would start and finish with us, wouldn't it? The gospel is, you are in peril, Jesus can save you and give you life. That the gospel is your life is a broken mess, Jesus can heal and mend you. But in Paul's summary, we're not the centre of the story, Jesus is. All our attention is drawn to him, and not just because of what he can do for us, but notice because of who he is. What is the gospel that Paul preached? Jesus Christ is Lord. It's who he is. He, he is Lord. He is the one who rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, the place of all power and authority. Jesus is the Lord. That means the, the gospel is like a summons. When we share the gospel, we are calling people to bow before the Lord of heaven and earth. Of course, we all have our problems, we all have our concerns, we all want Jesus to do something for us, but that's not the only reason we call people to Christ. We call them to follow Christ because they must. He is the Lord. See, Paul's gospel is a summons. You must follow him. But he is the Lord, but he is also Jesus. The name Jesus means God saves. So yes, when we share the gospel, it isn't just a summons, it is also an invitation. We are inviting people to come to Christ to find salvation and healing and forgiveness and life. The Christ is Lord. 
And so we preach the gospel, we share the gospel as a summons, you must come. And the Christ is Jesus, God who saves. And so we preach and share the gospel as an invitation. All who are broken and weary and hungry and thirsty, come and find life in the Lord of glory, the God who saves. So we preach Christ, Saviour and Lord. And when we preach Christ, we preach him and nothing else. Have a look at verse 2. Paul says, rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. When Paul preaches the gospel, he is careful to set forth the truth plainly. So, he tells us he's not secretive. He doesn't try to be cunning and crafty in the way that he shares the gospel or goes about his ministry. He does not try to manipulate people into believing and being part of the church. So he doesn't use his gifts or his knowledge or his great reputation or his position of authority. He doesn't use those things to try and control people, to make them do what they wouldn't otherwise do, to make them act because they fear him rather than having faith in Christ. That would be cunning and crafty and manipulative, wouldn't it? No, he sets forth the truth plainly. And when Paul preaches, he doesn't deceive or distort the word of God. He doesn't tell people just what they want to hear. No, he doesn't leave out the hard things. He doesn't only talk about grace without law. He doesn't only talk about Jesus as saviour without saying that Jesus is Lord as well. He doesn't just talk about heaven without mentioning hell. He does not just affirm people without challenging them. Paul doesn't deceive or distort the word of God. Instead, he sets forth the truth plainly. Persuasively, yes. Convincingly, yes. But plainly. So what about at Redeemer? Do we set forth the truth plainly? Do we distort and deceive, telling people what they want to hear? My, my guess is that we've got this in Scripture because it's going to be a temptation for us to do those things. To try and manipulate people. To try and distort so that some would believe. But maybe you think, no, we, we don't do that. And I hope that as a church, that isn't what happens to us. But here is a question to have in mind as you come week by week. Am I ever offended by the teaching I hear at Redeemer? Am I ever challenged to change the way I live or the way I think about something? Do I ever feel uncomfortable in church? Because if the answer is no, then either maybe you're not listening very hard, or worse, we've stopped setting forth the truth plainly. We are only telling you what you want to hear. Paul sets forth the truth plainly, and so must we. We preach Christ and nothing else. No craftiness, no manipulation, no distortion. And you kind of think, well, 
well, that's obvious, isn't it? That's what a church should do. What, what's, why, why are we making such a fuss about this? But the reality is, if you love those around you, if you care for those who don't yet know Christ, then your heart will break when they don't respond to the gospel. And then you'll be tempted to look to anything to try and persuade and convince them. Anything that might cause your friends, your families, the people at work to put their faith in Christ. Maybe if I just change the way I deliver it, maybe if I find the right technique, put on the right course or the right event, tone down some parts of the message, get the right atmosphere in church. They're not all bad things, are they? But why is it that people don't believe? In the end, it's not about our technique. It's not about the way that we package Christianity. No, people don't believe because something else is going on. Verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, as in some people can't, don't believe it, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel. In the end, people don't believe the gospel, not because there is something wrong with the message, but because they cannot see the beauty and the truth of it. The God of this age, Satan, the devil, has blinded them to the beauty and truth and reality of the gospel. Now, when you were younger, did you ever have one of those kind of um, blind, colorblind tests? Someone would hold up a picture, uh, there's two colours, and, and hidden in the picture was a number. There you go, there you go, brilliant. If you were colourblind, you couldn't see the number. Now, if you can't see the number there, this is not an official test. Don't think that you may therefore be colourblind. I'm not a professional. But hopefully most of you can see the 12. Now, now if you can't see the number, though, there is, there is nothing wrong with the picture. The number is there. The problem is with the one looking. They're colourblind. They can't see what is there in front of them. And so it is with us and Jesus. The God of this age, the devil, makes us Jesus blind. The gospel is true. Jesus is real and glorious and good, but people are Jesus blind and they cannot see him. They're not interested. Because they can't see the relevance of Christ. They're not persuaded. Because they can't see the beauty of Christ. They're not convinced because they cannot see the reality of Christ. The problem is not the message. And that means the solution is never to change the message. No, we must preach Christ and nothing else. The problem is that people are Jesus blind. And that means we preach Christ and nothing else, but also we preach Christ and we trust in God. We preach Christ and we trust in God. See, how do those blinded to the gospel come to believe? How did I come to faith and you come to faith if that is the case? Well, verse 6 tells us, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. It is God who is able to bring light to those living in darkness. It is God who is able to open eyes of those that are blind. The salvation of every individual 
is ultimately a work of God. Not of us, the one sharing the gospel, not even of them, but ultimately a work of God. Paul likens it to life at the very beginning when there was nothing. And nothing cannot bring about anything. Nothing cannot produce life. Nothing cannot make light. But at the very beginning, God spoke into that nothingness and said, let there be light. And there was. And Paul says something similar is going on every time someone comes to believe in Christ. Left to themselves, there is nothing. No interest in Christ. No desire to be saved. No understanding of the gospel. No conviction of their sin. No fear of God or love for him. Nothing. And then by his spirit, God says, let there be light. Let light shine in that darkness And where there was nothing, now there is something. A desire to know Christ. A conviction of sin. An understanding of the gospel. A fear of judgment and hell. A love for God. By his spirit, as the gospel is shared faithfully, God says over darkened and blinded hearts, let there be light. I was listening to a um, podcast this week about the life of George Muller. In the 1800s, uh, George Muller and his wife um, did incredible work looking after orphaned children. They set up five orphanages in their lifetime, and, and over a period of many years, thousands of children were cared for. But George Muller didn't start life as a Christian. He became a Christian later on. His, he, he wasn't particularly interested in the gospel as he heard it as he was growing up. His father even sent him to Bible college and, and Muller only went, I find this, this is brilliant, but he only went because it was a good career option to, to kind of get a job with the church. And day in and day out, he heard the Bible taught and the gospel shared and he just wasn't interested. He was blind. But then one evening, he went with a friend to a Christian meeting and there was nothing extraordinary about this meeting, nothing new that happened. Someone did what they always did. They opened the Bible, they taught, they prayed, they sang. But Muller's life was transformed. He writes, and it will be on the screen. When we walked home, I said to my friend, all we have seen and all our former pleasures are as nothing in comparison with this evening. Whether I fell on my knees when I returned home, I do not remember. But this I know, that I lay peaceful and happy in my bed. On that evening, the Lord began a work of grace in me. What changed? What, what made the difference? Was it technique? Was it a change in the message? No, that evening the Lord began a work of grace in him. The Lord said over his dark and blind heart, let the light shine in that darkness. And for the first time, he was no longer Jesus blind. And he could see the beauty, the glory, the goodness of Christ. And he came to believe. You see, the salvation of every individual is ultimately all of God. He is the one who says over those darkened hearts, let there be light. And how does he do it? He does it in response to our prayers and as we preach the gospel, as we preach Christ. And so we preach, we share, we point people to Christ. We live lives that are committed to Christ and commend him And we pray and we trust and we plead with the Lord, please shine your light into their darkness 
so that they can see the glory of Christ in the gospel. We preach Christ and we trust in God. So what is our gospel mission? It is first to behold Christ, adoration before activity. And then it is to preach Christ. Preach Christ and nothing else, and preach Christ while trusting in God, because salvation is all of him. Then be quiet, and then I'm going to pray. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Heavenly Father, we pray that that would indeed be the mission of Redeemer. All of the consequences and outflowing of that as well that would shape our church, but that we would rally around this to preach Christ and to live like Christ. But Father, we pray as well that as we preach Christ we would preach Christ to ourselves that we would behold him that we would savour him that we would love him and long to live under his lordship and as we treasure him above all else may that draw those who don't know Christ to the gospel as they see how infinitely precious and worthy he is of our lives then may others be drawn to him as well that they might behold him and savour him, and in knowing him know you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.